This is a podcast about Beyonce. Her music, her performances, and the strokes of technical and creative genius that make her the greatest performer of our time. But this won't take the form of breathless, mincing adulation. It's not that we aren't fangirls. It's that we couldn't find a podcast that not only exclusively focuses on the American Queen, but that also goes beyond a hackneyed regurgitation of her career. You know, her journey from girl's time to Destiny's Child to Queen Bee. From the writings on the wall to Dangerously in Love to Lemonade. See, if you're looking for a perfunctory recap of her career, you can go to Wikipedia. What we're gonna do is take deep dives. Deep dives for a deep diva. We'll bring you intricate, shimmering artifacts from the beehive's inner sanctum. We'll bring you the hot takes and critiques we've developed over our lifelong obsession with the queen. We'll cover one song per episode. And each episode will be 22 minutes. Because two plus two equals four. And four is the most important number in Beyonce's personal cosmology. But we will go over our time limit every (laughs) single episode. Just deal with it. That being said, we promise to balance adulation and contemplation, glitz and erudition, and hopefully make you laugh along the way. Thus, we welcome you to Diva Discourse. I love your face. You love the taste. That sugar, babe, it melts away. All right, so for episode one, we're going to discuss... Blow. Blow, indeed. Blow. From the 2013 album, Beyonce. Written by Beyonce, Pharrell Williams, Timbaland, J-Rock, James Fauntleroy, and Justin Timberlake. This episode will take a multifaceted look at Blow. From the song's roots in disco and funk. To its live performances. From its music video to Beyonce's fabulous, blown-out hairstyle. And everything in between. All things blow. But we'll keep it PG. Or will we? We'll try. (laughs) Shall we begin? We shall. So my first thought when listening to the song today for, I think, uh, Spotify said was the 3,900th time, (laughs) was that this might have been the first real multi-part song Beyonce did. I completely agree. Yes, you can definitely break it down into sections. And I feel like it was preluded. This this technique kind of was foreshadowed by Countdown, Run the World, Single Ladies, all mm. kind of experimental production and, and melody. But Blow was kind of a refinement and culmination of this uh, multi-part technique, right? I completely agree. Blow is truly like the first cohesive song he's done where you can... There's definitely a break after he goes... I'm about to get into this, girls. It's for all my grown women out there. I can't wait till I get Beyonce did also employ a technique we saw uh, reach a zenith in Renaissance, which was songs that flowed into each other or yes. had a part one, part two. It's the right. same with Beyonce and Partition, Ghost and Haunted. But Blow as a single entity is kind of a three-chaptered song. It's Blow, Cherry, then Black to, Back to Blow. Totally, and yet so seamless. Seamless, legendarily smooth, while still complex and experimental. There was, for any Beyonce fan, before the release of this album, a very tense, very anticipatory two-year period. And this was a, this was a time pre-COVID where, in music, 
one year was a long time. This was a time when Rihanna was releasing an album every, every year. year. Yeah. Beyonce was uh, still rising to the top of the world in, in a more kind of like cosmological sense, like mm-hmm. not just in the pop world, but kind of in the cultural world. Right. But Beyonce is what really put her at the top. Yes, yes. It's really what crowned her Queen Bee. Yes. Before that, she was known as Queen Bee by her fans. Yes. Whereas afterwards, the New York Times critics followed suit. Right, right. And it's funny because, I I mean, I remember at the time, I would Google her every day to figure out when a new album was coming. We were desperate Mm -hmm. for music because we were hearing foreshadowings of it. Do you remember where you were when self-titled dropped? Oh, absolutely. Where were you? I had just come back from an expedition in the Himalayas. I was in New Delhi, and I was actually flying to Thailand the day after. I googled her every day, but I woke up to about a dozen text messages saying, have you seen, which kind of ruined the news for me, but everyone knew I'd be interested. Where were you? I was in Manila, in the Philippines, where I was born and raised. And I was in my brother's room, using his iPad. And I opened iTunes, and I saw the ad for self-titled. When I got to this song, there was just something so magical about it that really like had me floored. During a first listen, it was the standout track. For sure. And interestingly enough, it survived as the most valuable track on the album. Yes. I think one of the reasons we both decided to start our podcast with this song is because in, in many ways it embodies Beyonce's best characteristics. Totally. She is though it's not quite fully understood by everyone. She is actually a neo-disco queen. She is, yeah. Among many other things. Right. But you hear Janet Jackson Mm -hmm. in the song. You hear, obviously, you hear Prince. Donna Summer. Absolutely. Who we'll talk about more later. Yes. You know, in this long waiting period before the album Beyonce dropped, her last album was four. She was in the middle of the Mrs. Carter World tour when when she dropped it, which was insane. Insane to drop an album like this in the middle of a tour. An album that not only had incredible songs, but that had a music video for every single yes, song. and completely unannounced. Completely unannounced. And so she was Even shooting the these while she was traveling around the world. I remember when I'd Google her, I'd see Beyonce spotted in Coney Island with cameras. No one knew that she was shooting the music video for XO, but there were these little hints that right. made us think, okay, she's up to something. Yes. There was an interview with Pharrell in um, October 2013, and I'm going to quote him. He said, B's album is crazy. She's very particular, she's a Virgo, and she's not going to put it out until it's ready and it feels like it's right to her. Then he went on to say, other people are hearing the album and are like, whoa. And she's like, yeah, I'm almost done. And so I remember reading that thinking, okay, what is going to come of this? And when you hear a song like Blow, I think it actually, in some ways, was when mainstream critics acquired a new appreciation for this famous perfectionism that she's come to be associated with. Mm. The production levels were... I mean, she was always meticulous, but there was a new chapter of production with this album, and Blow really embodies it. I just feel like it so deftly gestures towards the history of disco. I always go back to that little moan she gives at the beginning. And I feel like that moan is just like an echo of Donna Summer's Love to Love You, Baby. Mm. It's like the moan that started it all. In a split second, she evokes the genesis of an entire musical tradition. She released her debut album at the age of 22. Starlets who do that uh, often have their songs written for them and are 
attempting to sound new, which she did, but she sampled Donna Summer in, in her debut album with Naughty, Naughty Girl. Girl. She did a duet with Luther Vandross, yes. which was also a cover of a song, I mean, or, right. or a reinterpretation of one. She's always had this eye to the past, and she's always been strangely humble about honoring her predecessors. But the difference between Naughty Girl and Blow is I feel like on Naughty Girl, you can hear her trying to sound mature, trying to like fill in Donna Summer's clues, and here it's just so effortless. Like, she's a grown woman here. And in fact, I do think that she actually starts the Cherry chapter by saying, this is for... This is for all my grown women out there. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's effortless, but it's also original. This is an example of a song that A, will endure, but B, will also be sampled by other artists. I mean, you know, just yes. as she sampled yes. Love to Love You, this is right. actually, it was a really original song and a really exciting one. Yes. I liked that it was, the length was unabashed. It was over five minutes, so it really took its time. Yes. Kind of harkened back to Janet Jackson's songs from the 80s and 90s that are also, they're both unabashedly sexual, but they're also mm. drawn out. Yes. And when this album came out, people were saying it was her most sexual one yet. Then this song is a prime example. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you, hear, you have lines like, can you lick my Skittles? It's, it's the, the sweetest, sweetest in the middle. middle. By the way, it's such an original turn of phrase. Do you think that Blow is more sexual than Rocket? Oh, ooh, good question. I think Rocket might be a bit more sexual. I think it is, even its music video. Blow still has a measure of innocence and playfulness. Yes. Whereas Rocket is just like pure D'Angelo orgasmic. Totally D'Angelo. I mean, I feel like Blow still puts music first. Yeah. And aesthetics. I mean, there's aesthetics. a lot of aesthetics, but sexual and, and aesthetics second. Yes, and it's, a, and it's still a bit campy. Rocket is erotic in the way that Blow is not. Blow allows itself to be like silly and campy. We were talking about when we saw the video just now. The glamour shots of her blonde feeling her face is very reminiscent of 80s shampoo ads with the kind of high exposure and the exaggerated filter. It just feels very silly and very playful. And almost made for a billboard. Yeah, yeah. In Asia. Yes. <laughs> the music video of the song, I mean, first of all, this was also an album where every single music video was actually worth watching. Yes. There was not a single throwaway oh. video. Everyone was engaging. And, totally. and it's strange because in, in an era where music videos were reserved for singles, mm -hmm. you know, by an artist's fourth single off an album, the music video was just boring. It was them on a beach, you know, crying. Right. And um, even visually, the songs before this on the visual album, visually those are much more muted videos. Blow really just like explodes with color. Yes. And I, I like that you um, honed in on the Skittles line because her red lips oh, really candify the, the video. Her red lips contrasted with the blue eyeshadow and the blonde hair. Yes. There is a freedom to blow that reminded me when I heard of it, of Losing You, which was also just released the year before. Incredible song, incredible video. Right, and incredible video too, but I thought it was fitting that Solange was featured in the music video alongside yes. her. There was, con yes. there, right, because there were some stylistic parallels between her, like Solange's discography and, and the completely, song. Completely, completely. Beyonce clearly, like, is influenced by her sister. Yeah, I think she's influenced by her when she wants to satisfy or appease the indie market as in addition to the mainstream one. Solange is, right. in, in arguably, we could say, strives to be more interesting than Beyonce. Oh, oh, completely. I think Solange is a genius. Yes. But to make a song like this, which is um, melodically fantastic, but has the, and, and, and has indie appeal, but has the mega wattage to really be vaulted into the 
right. the, the stratosphere. Would, it requires right. an artist like Beyonce. It has the mega wattage, but also there's just something so languorous about it too. It makes it so effective. It feels like a summer slip-on dress. You know, it's easy and it's light and it's kind of sticky with sweat. I love that. It's a great song to walk through the streets of New York to on a summer day. Oh, yes. The actual sounds and production employed, you pointed to the moan that she makes. Mm. I also, you know, I Which love... Which echoes throughout the song. It also, is, it's complemented by the call and response that she actually, yes. I think, began to employ more and more as her albums went on. Yeah. Um, I also love the sound of the muted snare in contrast to the heavy bass line. Right. And of course, the, the can you make the sound she does? <laughs> I mean, just it's perfect the way it comes in, right? It just triggers a Pavlovian response in every gay man. I work at a bookstore, and one time I played the song kind of late in the night. Every time he'd do that, all the gay men in the bookstore would do the same. <laughs> <laughs> You know, on the note of the of the music video, it really perfectly echoed the zaniness of the song because they were surreal elements of the video, the stop-start motion where she's playing with yes. her skates. Yes. So when they filmed that part of the video, they slowed down the song so that so her and her dance just kind of danced slowly. And then in post they edited it to make it faster, which gives it this like uncanny look. That but it's it's so effective because it, it looks like everyone is just like on poppers. She quite literally rallies the troops when she says I'm about to get into this girl it's for all my grown women out there it's not just about the blow job it's about the blowout yes and that blowout has a kind of a consummation in the cherry chapter where her hair actually is blown out yes, right? it's kind of yes. permed it's so good I can't wait so this is the now this is the cherry chapter where you see yes. on the roof of a red car and her hair is blown out and and then it's really harkening back that that's kind of the the visual chapter so where prince. she right where she's paying tribute to an earlier era yeah it's funny because I There's heard smoke everywhere but in a in a campy kind of way yeah. right it's it's clearly yeah. you can almost see the smoke machines yes yes there are critics who've compared the song to Prince's Dirty Mind which I have to, to dissent with. To me, and, and I'm su- I was surprised I didn't see the song reference more, it overwhelmingly echoes the song by Prince, Sexy Dancer. Mm. He has this entire section that goes... Which she uses throughout the song. You know, Beyonce is one of the only pop artists whose live performances are better than her already very carefully and complexly produced songs. And one reason is that she reproduces songs for live performance. She doesn't yes. simply use a backing track. Totally. It's impossible to understand Beyonce as an artist if you have not seen at least videos of her live. And she's one of the only popular artists who is actually better live than in recording, which is an astonishing feat. I completely agree. But I think one thing she does really well when she reproduces a song for live performance is she... You know, with the benefit of retrospection, she hones in on the song's eccentricities and their exciting elements, and she exaggerates them. So when she performed Blow, and, and I think the most conspicuous live rendition was featured on HBO's X10, mm-hmm. where it's one of her yes. live performances during the Mrs. Carter World Tour, she really leaned into the Sexy Dancer chapter by Prince, where the band comes out and they just do that. 
and also echoes that part of the video where they're all in a line. There's like a little bar behind them. They're like doing acrobatics on it. She and, has yeah. like that costume with the nipples out. Yes. I love that she also, in Blow, brings out her band that kind of dances with her. And they're yes. just, they're, it's not a really overly choreographed moment. But, it's not. But because yeah. you see the, the guitarist, the bassist, it shows you how steeped in disco and funk musically the Completely. song is. It's not, it's not a synthetic production necessarily. Yes. And she has done that exact thing before. She did that for the Beyonce Experience tour when she was performing Naughty Girl. And she had the band all lined up. And it was kind of like a similar setup where the lights behind them were like blazing. They were all on. I remember her doing a version of that Naughty Girl performance at Glastonbury yeah. many years after, or what felt like many years after the Beyonce Experience tour was actually only maybe five years after. Right. Naughty Girl now, I think, she uses the um, kind of arabesque yes. melodies to usually uh, pair it with Baby Boy and some others. Right. Whereas Blow, it's funny because Blow is so complex, it could be used for a lot, and yet she didn't really perform it much before, you know, even the Renaissance tour, and we can discuss its current relevance, but it's only interpolated. It's not really, she doesn't give it a lot of stadium attention. One of my favorite live renditions of Blows on the Formation World Tour, where she matches it up with Vanity Sex's Nasty Girl. I love the Nasty Girl version. It's so good. It really like brings the best out in both of those songs. And I do think that this song is indebted to Nasty Girl as much as it is to Sexy Dancer. And also, Vanity Six, they were princess protégés. It makes total sense. In the way that Blow not only harkened back and paid tribute to the past, but was a prelude to future Beyoncé, yeah. I think we do see, while, while Lemonade and Everything is Love, her album with Jay-Z, uh, took a different musical turn, she almost saw that, you know, she did disco so well that she came back with her latest album and it was all Blow 2.0. Right. I almost think that we would never have had Renaissance if it weren't for Blow. Love it. Completely agree. That's, that's a thesis of this episode, I think, <laughs> right? Is that, that Blow was kind of the key to Beyonce's next chapter. Right. Okay, and now we have a special moment in this episode. We're going to do this for every episode. But we are pleased to welcome you to Mama Tina's hair salon. Snip, snip. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a little explanation of this game we're going to play. A while ago, Beyonce admitted that as a working pop star and then an actual pop star from the age of nine, she, you know, she had to drop out of high school. She didn't go to college. She spent her life recording, going on tour. She was so busy that she didn't have a lot of the life experiences that she sings about. And what she said is that she draws on a lot of the characters she met in her mother's hair salon in Houston, Texas. Beyonce's mother's name is Tina. She, had, she ran a hair salon, uh, which partly explains why Beyonce is always, you know, has fabulous hair. And so what we're going to do at every episode is choose a character, imaginary or real, from our own lives or not, that we believe 
the song we're discussing is quintessentially geared towards. I love this whole concept. It's actually so personal to me because much like Beyonce's mom, Tina, my grandma ran a hair salon in Manila uh, when I was growing up. And that hair salon was how I actually first discovered Beyonce because you had all these pictures on the wall of like, you know, different hairstyles women could point to. And one of the pictures was a photo of Beyonce from the Beyonce Experience Tour. It was actually a pirated DVD cover of that <laughs> tour because it's the Philippines and everyone is a pirate. And my, um, my brother took one look at that picture and fell madly in love. He was so besotted that he asked my grandma if he could take the DVD cover home with him because he just had the biggest crush on Beyonce. He was like his first celebrity crush. <laughs> so he took it home and they would like look at it every day. And I'd look at it too, but like in a different way. Like I was just like so enamored by her. Like, who is this woman? I need to know more. And that was the beginning. So for Blow, the character in Mama Tina's hair salon that I'm going to draw on is actually an aunt of mine who in her young youthful heyday was considered one of the most beautiful women in Bombay she would go out dancing at discos men would flock to her everyone wanted her she was this very seductive fashion forward a kind of sexual being but you know in, in those days in Bombay one was sexual aesthetically not practically because that would be the end of you and that aunt ended up having kind of a tragic future. Her fiancé left her. She descended into agoraphobic isolation. She became a spinsteresque figure. And for me, Blow is written to remind her of her sexual possibility-filled past, not in a way to make her sadly nostalgic, but to kind of almost resuscitate those roots in her, the way that an EMT worker shocks you back into life. So this song is for my fabulous Bombay aunt. I love that. Um, for me, the woman Blow is made for is a woman who has just gotten out of her first marriage and she has never had an orgasm. But um, she's finally like discovering herself discovering her body he is hooking up he's having fun he is finally learning what it means to feel pleasure he's like let go of like all the shame attached to that she just got a new wardrobe she's realizing how hot she is and she's in her sex in the city era oh nice yeah It was lovely to start with Blow because it happens to form this midpoint in Beyonce's career. It was the climax of her earlier chapters. It was her discovering a new musical persona, a new level of production, but it also heralded an incredible series of albums, especially Renaissance to come. And just a public service announcement to all the gay clubs in New York, we want you to play Blow more this summer. Snip, snip. <laughs> 